Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, September 29th, and we're rapping about new investment opportunities. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's jack-of-all-trades, Dan Klein. Dan, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, and I promise not to rap. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to do the same. Um, it'll be hard not to, though. I mean, we are talking about something that is is kind of interesting. I got a lot of splashy headlines earlier this week. Um, some cool news from the music industry that has kind of crossed over into the investment industry. Yeah, it's it's a really sort of bizarre but exciting opportunity, really full of pitfalls, though. <laughs> so, investors may soon have the opportunity to invest in rapper Eminem's music catalog. Um, we're going to kind of do a deep dive into some of the specifics that are available um, at this point with the filing. But before we get too far into that, I think it's probably worth going into how this type of opportunity came to be. This is a topic that we've touched on a little bit uh, with the show before. Yeah, it's it's really an alternate way to invest. It's somewhat like crowdsourcing, but you actually do end up with shares of the company except for the fact that there's not all the financial due diligence you see during a traditional IPO or other sort of uh, investment opportunity. And this really traces back to the JOBS Act, uh, which was passed in 2012, I believe, um, as part of the Obama administration. Uh, Like I said, it's something we've talked about in past shows a little bit, um, but really, this legislation was aimed at um, making raising capital a little bit easier for smaller businesses and making the path to going public a little bit easier for smaller businesses. Um, so one of the things that it is probably best known for, and it has a lot of different components, is um, enabling equity crowdfunding. And so basically allowing companies to raise capital uh, from average individuals in a way kind of similar to how they would on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, like you talked about, Dan. But instead of giving $200 and getting a t-shirt or getting a book or a DVD or something like that, um, you are instead getting an equity stake in this private business. Uh, And before, only deep-pocketed, accredited investors, so basically high net worth individuals, had the ability to do that. Yeah, the problem is, and you know, th- these could be great investments, but they're also risky investments. They don't have all of the financial due diligence a traditional IPO would have. They also don't have the people like us, the analysts and writers at Motley Fool and other financial entities, checking into them. So, you know, to to look at one that's out there now is Fat Burger. The burger chain is 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 uh, on its way towards a, an IPO, and. If you like Fatburger, that may seem like a great idea. But if you don't really know everything they're going to do with the proceeds, how you might cash out, uh, sort of what the the benefit is, it becomes riskier than a traditional, you know, share of stock. And I believe Fatburger is going through the mini IPO process. Is that right, Dan? They are. So the mini IPO means you're raising under $50 million, and it basically gives you five years, uh, or when you reach a billion in revenue, before you have to meet the full reporting standards. Uh, so w- once again, if, if you truly believe in a company, this is a way to own a piece of it that you previously couldn't have. But in many ways, it's novelty investing. You know, You don't have all the tools to decide Fat, you know, Fatburger is using some of this money to buy another chain. Is that a good investment? There's not a lot of details out there about that the way there would be if this was a traditional IPO. And proponents of this had said, you know, like this is this way to democratize uh, access to these early stage companies. You know, you look at this landscape of like the tech unicorns, these high growth <laughs> companies that get all this press, and people are saying, you know, as the average investor, I'm locked out of this. I can't get into the equity rounds that these venture capitalists and angel investors can. Um, and there's this kind of classism within the investment industry. So 
this legislation is kind of aimed at saying, okay, like average investors, you can participate. Um, of course, that does mean that you know these investments behave totally differently, and uh, we will hopefully outline some of the ways that that's the case here. Um, and and similar to the Fatburger thing that you've talked about, um, this mini IPO provision is something that the M and M deal will likely be going through um, with royalty exchange. Yeah, it's so. So what they're looking to do is two producers who worked with M M&M and M own or have the right, the option to own a percentage of his catalog. They're looking to put that into sort of a, a company and you'd be buying shares in that company. They say in the, let's call it mini prospectus, that they would also buy other passive interests. So unlike uh, music, like a full label, they won't be publishing music, they won't be actively licensing, they don't own a controlling interest. In theory, they'll just be sitting back and collecting revenue. And that sounds very enticing, especially if you like Eminem and he's someone you'd like to own a piece of. The problem is, as much as that passive part is nice and comes with less overhead, it also means they don't get to make any decisions when it comes to, you know, hey, we need money, so let's sell an Eminem song to a McDonald's commercial. They don't have the right to do that. Right. And in some ways, it's kind of like owning a building. Like, you're really just owning an <laughs> asset. You're not really owning a business in the sense that, like, you know, Apple sells phones and they have levers that they can use to increase or decrease the number of phones they're sold every year. You're buying a revenue stream, and the, the way they intend to price it is based on the idea that streaming revenues have increased. They've gone up something like uh, 60%, or I think it's 47% this year, and now it's over 60% of all revenue for the music industry. And you're buying into the idea that it's going to increase. The challenge with that is, while Eminem is absolutely a timeless artist, and he's going to you know, still be played you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, what you don't know is how much, what the radio formats are going to be, what the streaming is going to be. And yes, he's one of the highest grossing artists in terms of royalties over the last decade. But you don't know that that's a progressively upward trajectory, even if the industry is trending upwards. Yeah, it's something that you only have so much control over. Um, I will say, you know, you look at a lot of these types of investment opportunities out there, these mini-IPOs, um, these equity crowdfunded businesses, a lot of them are like super early stage restaurants. Or, you know, I know in DC, for example, there is a distillery that went up in Ivy City, Republic Restoratives, that went through the equity crowdfunding process. Um, the <laughs> the floor on a, on a uh, business like that is a lot lower than I think the floor on the business of M&M's royalties are, for example, because you have this established catalog of, you know, a pretty strong performing asset. Except what you don't know is uh, the people managing it. Are they going to take this royalty flow and buy other royalties with a five-year timeline, a ten-year timeline? What's their cash out? What's their dividend structure? You know, yes, the it, it's like buying a share of a building. Rents are going to come in, and if the building's been 100% leased for the last ten years and it has 20 years of signed leases, that the numbers are going to stay the same. Maybe they'll go up, but you don't know what your out strategy is. You don't know sort of how this stock is going to track is going to track. So in a lot of ways, this is novelty investing. Yes, if you believe in a restaurant concept, it might be nice to take a flyer on it. And if you love M&M, to buy a few shares makes sense. But I don't think you know enough to consider this an investment. It, yeah, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that might disagree with you, Dan. But, but I think... Um... You're generally right. I mean, the the big thing when you look at these types of opportunities is beyond the okay, this structure is slightly different than what you might be used to with investing in stocks. Um, 
what you have available to you is a little bit different. We talked about the financial disclosures, and also the way that these types of businesses operate are just different. Um, you you look at what they're able to raise with this regulatory filing, this, this A plus filing. Um, it's a capped at fifty million dollars, and so even if they are selling a relatively small portion uh, to uh, Royalty Flow, sorry, I said Royalty Exchange earlier. It's Royalty Flow. Um, that really doesn't mean that the size of that that portfolio is going to be that big. And so you're looking at something that is likely a very small cap or micro cap business. Right. I mean, they're buying you know somewhere between a 15 and 25 percent interest. Once again, not a controlling interest. And it depends what they do with that money. You know, with any of these things, the micro IPO could be a partial cash out for the people who own the asset. So you've got to look very carefully at everything they say they're going to do with the money, but because of the reporting structure, they're not as obligated and they don't face the same financial pressures. I think, you know, you're going to see some credible mini IPOs. The Chicken Soup for the Soul books, for example, and videos has done a, a, is on the path to a mini IPO. And that's a, a longstanding business. There's a lot of financials you can look at. There's a lot of history. You can pull up bestseller lists, video playlists. But when you look at something like, like the M&M IPO, it's uncharted waters. Really, the closest thing is the, uh, the the David Bowie bonds, where he sold the rights to all his royalties for 10 years so he could get the cash up front. And that wasn't a disaster, but it not, did not turn out particularly well for the people who bought those bonds. So, Dan, I am not an 80s baby. Uh, I was born <laughs> in 1990 and, and did not have uh, my coming of age in the 80s. Would you mind giving a little primer on the Bowie bonds and what happened there? Yeah, I mean, so so basically, David Bowie is a very experimental guy. And, I mean, he's obviously no longer with us, and he has an an Eminem-like, perhaps even more impressive catalog of hits. And he said, you know, investors came to him and said, you know, we could get you, and I forget the number, but let's pretend fifty million dollars. We can get it to you now, and in exchange for the rights to whatever royalties come in for the next ten years. And part of the reason this was not a great deal. Is David Bowie is alive or was alive at the time of this, and he's an artist who cared about his music. So he wasn't going to say, "Ooh, these people have all my royalties. I better be in every movie. I better sell to every commercial. I better be on every streaming service. You know, whatever it was at the time." So the actual returns that they got didn't equal what was put in. And I fear with the M&M case, it's the same kind of thing. It's not like his royalties are going to dry up. He, he made $82 million in royalties between 1999 and 2016. That's not going to go away. But it's not necessarily going to increase dramatically because he's not going to take every opportunity. And that decision is very much in his hands. M&M has absolutely nothing to do with this offering. And that's nuance that you just don't have when you're talking about standard company investments, right? Like the the, <laughs> the company management of you know insert pretty much any small, mid, or large cap business, um, they need to have their shareholders' interests in mind when they make a lot of decisions, and and ultimately they are serving their customers, their shareholders, and their employees. M and M has no obligation to the people that would be owning these shares. Right. And you can see even in big publicly traded companies where it becomes a problem, you know, Chipotle just put out queso and their queso doesn't feel like what you expect queso to because of their commitment to, to using high quality ingredients. So it can have that sort of chemical feel that that queso normally has. So their ideals are coming up against the interest of their shareholders. M&M's ideals may be 
I'm not licensing my music anywhere and they've already made a, a movie about my life. So he can be very picky about how he licenses his music because he doesn't need or probably doesn't need a ton more money. So he's not going to pursue every opportunity. Yeah, I think he's probably sitting pretty right now. I think he has plenty of money based on how successful the catalog's been already. And, you know, given that he came of age in the CD sales business when he could still make a decent amount of money selling physical CDs. Yeah, I mean, if you knew Eminem planned to buy the, uh, I don't know, the Detroit Tigers and needed to raise a bunch of money, this becomes a better investment because maybe he would do everything he could to maximize his own earnings. But as a guy who I don't believe he's made an album in, in five years, uh, four or five years, I, he doesn't seem desperate for cash. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and if you're looking for more specifics and kind of follow up on this, um, like we said, I think they're looking to raise somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 to 25 million or so. Uh, but they'll definitely be below that 50 million cap uh, for the mini IPO process. Uh, the next steps for this are that the SEC needs to actually qualify the following, and that will probably happen sometime in October. Um, talking a little bit less about the filing, and again, some things that are just a little bit more um, kind of broad stroke characteristics of this space and this type of investment. You know, we talked about how there's some uh, disclosure differences. Uh, the financials might look a little bit different. These are early stage businesses, but also um, there can be some liquidity differences with these types of investments. Uh, you know, when you are working uh, in the equity crowdfunding space, particularly as a company is private, um, you certainly don't have the liquidity that you would for a publicly traded stock that is on an exchange. Um, even in the case of you know this royalty flow business that has a mini IPO, um, they are looking to be on a public exchange. But if they are a smaller business, you know one of the things that you need to keep in mind with the small caps and particularly micro cap businesses is that liquidity that just doesn't exist in the same way. Um, you don't have nice smooth stock charts. There are big hiccups when you know a major investor tries to actually get rid of some of their volume. In many ways, this is fantasy sports. If you want to take one or two percent of your investment portfolio, and you know, you see something that you really think has potential and throw some money at it, that's great. Or if you really love, you know, a burger chain or a musician or somebody that's going through this process, I think it's great to have that sort of like fun you know, extra interest in this person or thing or business that you care about. But but once again, and I cannot stress this enough, you know, th these feel like get-rich-quick schemes because they might be. And get-rich-quick schemes don't usually work out. Yeah, and I will say, this is one that I'm like, oh, like there's, there's a legitimate asset here that could perform fairly well over the next couple decades. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of the other things that we've seen come through this space have been, you know, restaurants or movies, you know, where there isn't a track record of success. I think, like I said, the floor for something like this is a lot higher than a lot of the businesses that you see come through this space. I love the strategy of buying interest in other music catalogs. Um, you know, I would look more towards people uh, that are deceased, that they're really maximizing their catalog. There's absolutely huge potential there. It's become sort of the, the new music publishing, which was always where the money was in the music industry. So I like that model. What I don't see here is they say they're going to do it, but there's not actually anything holding them to that. And they're five years away from having to fully report because they're never going to hit a billion dollars in revenue in, in you know with this kind of money. So you really have to believe in management. And here, you don't really know much about management or what it's thinking. You also don't know what's for sale out in the market. Yeah. It's a kind of new frontier in a lot of ways, um, you know, both for the average investor and for the investment industry. It's something that we're still kind of exploring and figuring out. 
Um, listeners, like I mentioned, we have done episodes in the past talking about the Jobs Act, and so we have some things that might be kind of better primers and good background for folks that want to catch up a little bit. Uh, at South by Southwest this year, I actually sat down with Bill Clark and Slava Rubin uh, of MicroVentures. Slava Rubin is actually uh, one of the co-founders of Indiegogo, and um, just a really interesting guy. And so they helped talk about the space and kind of walk me through how they think about it on the equity crowdfunding side. Uh, if you want more info on that, just shoot us a note, and we'll be sure to send you along the episode. Um, we kind of have a special guest here in the studio, Dan. I don't, I don't know if you know, but um, today... I, I do. I'm not there, but I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't see her because you are on Skype. But um, today is Bring Your Adult Family to Work Day. Did I get that right, Austin? Uh, that is correct. But as my mom calls it, it's Take Your Mom to Work Day. <laughs> and she's been looking forward to this for quite some time, right? Since the day I got hired. Which is what, two years? Uh, two, two years ago, yeah. yeah. Two, two and a half years. Last, last year. Why didn't you bring her last year? I was still a temp. Ah. I didn't have the option. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here now, and she's here now. She is. And and I mentioned that I wanted to do something to bring her on to the show, because um, I like to bring you on, and I think it'd be fun to bring her on. Um, and so I asked her before we started taping to think about this. Um, if you were to have a stake in you know, some artists, some performing artists' uh, music catalog, who would it be and why? It doesn't need to be an investment-based decision. It can be, you just love this artist. So that's a really tough question because I love a lot of artists. I think if I'm thinking historically, I think I would love to invest in Elvis. If it wasn't just historical, I love Toby Mac also. That's outside my wheelhouse. I don't know who Toby, Toby Mac, Mac is. is a local, he's a local artist. He's a local Christian rap artist. Very cool. Awesome. What about you? So I would go, I have two different directions I would go. Uh, Metallica, because <laughs> Metallica, and oh, I mean like every good closer in baseball comes out to Metallica. Dun, dun, yeah, dun, 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 but, yeah, yeah. Obvious. We might get sued for me humming that. Yeah, well, nah. <laughs> and then, or I would go with somebody like Drake, because everything Drake puts out starts like a, a not a movement, but you got kids yelling YOLO after he puts out a YOLO song. Like YOLO wasn't a thing until Drake. He's just like a pop yeah, culture machine. A, yeah, so he puts out a song, and then it's just a thing. Like, <laughs> it just becomes the internet. Yeah. The internet explodes. Uh, Dan, what about you? Well, again, two answers. If I'm going passion, it's the replacements. You know, Timeless band, never got their due, really deep catalog. If I'm going money, it's Carly Rae Jepsen, because I have never gone a single day since Call Me Maybe came out where I have not heard that song. And I don't listen to pop music. It's the most, it's got to be the most played background music when you're walking around the mall. So she just has to be raking it in. So I'd love a piece of that. I think you're listening to the wrong radio stations. <laughs> I'm not listening to radio at all. It's just in the ether. Yeah, like, it, it, interesting. There is a whole class of music that's get, that just gets played at malls. It's feel good music. It gets people going. It's energized. Um, for me, the economic side of this, Jimmy Buffett all day. Give me Jimmy Buffett long term. People love Jimmy Buffett. I don't. I think I think his music isn't that great. But a lot of people really like Jimmy Buffett. I think that's the winning answer right there. I, I think isn't that great is putting it very politely. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for for just kind of my own uh, musical taste, I got to go. Chance the rapper. I'm a big fan of Chance the Rapper. Love what he's doing on the indie side. Um, perhaps not the greatest for, for making money because he just, he's not signed to a recording label, but uh, he seems to be doing okay. So, um, Dan, we kind of got off track a little bit here, but <laughs> anything else before uh, we wrap the show and I let you go? Yeah, let, let, let's just bring it bring it all back home. These alternative investments 
are are playing. It's going to the track. It's it's gambling, and you have to be very very careful with them. Which is to say, um, you know, this is an emerging space, so it's not surprising that those are the characteristics. We might hit a point years down the road where it's a little bit more established and we have a better baseline. But um, the reality is, not too many companies have taken these routes to to raise money, and we don't have a good even like three or five year track record for how some of these performances, uh, how these companies have performed. So um, I, I think that is kind of a good note to close on. Be cautious, investors, as you see these types of opportunities come up. Absolutely. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have 